filibuster receives sponsorship from the Ehrlich Law Office, discrimination, wage, and litigation solutions serving Northern Virginia and the District of Columbia. They handle employment issues, including wrongful termination, wage disputes, discrimination, equal employment opportunity matters, and more. They also handle civil rights litigation, defamation, and general litigation. For a free consultation, visit EhrlichLawOffice.com slash filibuster. So I really do think a, a group stage followed by one-off semifinal and one-off MLS, fi- MLS Cup final would be even better than the playoffs we just witnessed for a lot of reasons, not least of which is that two-leg aggregate goal series are stupid when the teams come from the same league. I think they're, they're, they're dumb in that context. They make sense when teams don't play each other all the time, uh, like in the Champions League. It makes sense, especially because there's big distances, and so a one-off gives an undue advantage to to the home team. But in a in a league where you want to create home field advantage to the regular season, it makes more sense to actually have just a straight-up home field advantage. It doesn't decide the game. It just puts a light thumb on the scale uh, in favor of the team that did better in the season that you want to say matters. So I think I think the Brian Strauss's proposal from 2010 that I rehashed this week on on a story on blackandredunited.com. I think that is is the way the league should go and it I will not be convinced otherwise. I mean it, from a sporting perspective it is that the issue that is ever going to come up is just the owners owners are going to want their home games in the playoffs. Um yeah, and that's the, absolutely and true. Part of the setup of that is that one team gets no home games, um, which is never going to fly with the right. others. Right. I mean, the only way they did that in the wild card round was by expanding it to new teams. It's like you weren't in the playoffs right. before. Now you're in the playoffs, but you don't get a home game. Right. You know, you're in sixth. You at least get to say, "Hey, we made the playoffs." You get to back your fans off a little bit. That would other. I mean, Revs fans would have been pretty angry this off season. I think if they ended up, uh, or no, it wouldn't have been the Revs, would it? We were we were, I keep forgetting we were fourth, not third. Right, it would have been uh, Toronto. Montreal. No, Toronto. Nope. That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah Toronto. Toronto. Toronto made the playoffs because the playoffs expanded uh, one more to meet them. Yeah, exactly. The, they <laughs> the couldn't playoffs, make it. The playoffs in. threw a life preserver over the boat and were like, "We'll drag you along, just this once, and also for the rest of time." Yeah, I think that that's def that's a definite issue, and which is why I don't think it'll ever happen, even though I really think it should. But it, it also seems to me like there's a solution to that where the league says, okay, um, just for the playoffs, not for the regular season, but for the playoffs, we are going to pool a percentage of gate revenue or or increase payouts to lower-seeded teams or, or something to alleviate the financial... The to lack break their of, complaints... Yeah, basically to alleviate the lack of financial windfall. But from a sporting perspective, it, it, it seems obvious. To right, me. but sporting concerns have never been top of the list for MLS. Or really many sports leagues. Right, or many American sports leagues, yeah. I mean, there's a reason why the Supporter Shield's still given out, even though the schedule was moved to an unbalanced schedule. Well, the Supporter um, Shield originated before the balanced schedule ever No, came. I know, but so, at, at that 
the sports show was introduced at a time where there wasn't even the option of a balanced schedule. There was no mathematical way to do it where it, it could ever work, you, or unless you wanted to have a 20-game season. Um, or no, less than that. It would have been an 18-game season. Right, yeah. Um, or 36, which is considered too long. So um, you run into that. But, I, you know, MLS is what it is. It's going to be weird, and the playoff format is going to be strange. And I guess I've never had... I understand it, and it's definitely a better format than what exists, but at the same time, I've always been of the, um, you win whatever format they put in front of you. It's stupid. You can complain about it, and you just go win the stupid format. Oh, absolutely, um, and I actually straight up said, listen, the proposal I have for a group stage where the higher seed hosts every game, so if you're the the first seed, you don't go on the road at all. If you're the second seed, you only go on the road for one of the three games. The three, three seed goes on the road twice, and the four seed never gets to play at home, except in the play-in game. Um, straight up, DC United would not have fared well with that system. They would have had no home games after uh, the play-in game against the Revs. We would have had to go on the road to Columbus Crew Stadium, to Red Bull Arena, and to... Um, to Montreal, so this is not something that would have helped DC United. So there's no, nothing not selfish in this for me. No, um, and and I just think it would make for a much better product, especially for TV. And if you want to get the league on board, that's where right. you argue it's a better product on TV than the two leg separated by a week. Uh, basically, the first half happens in one week, and the second half happens a week. Right later and it, it breaks all the momentum in the game and it's a different game than they play in the regular season because a game that happens over 180 minutes with two different lineups but you combine the score is different than the type of soccer that they play the rest of the year so for me it's it would be an easy decision and I wish they would you know make Brian Strauss the VP of competition for the league because that would be a lot of fun he'd be a great source I, I don't know if that's true. I know he's been really, really nice the times that I've met him. He's been a really good dude. Um, anyway, hey, hey, welcome in. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. I am Adam Taylor here in D.C., joined as always by Ben Bromley in Not Racist Virginia and Jason Anderson in Not Virginia, Maryland. We are all from blackandredunited.com where you can find us writing about D.C. United MLS in general, and lots of other things related to soccer. We've got a good show for you tonight. We are going to talk about MLS Cup, which wrapped up this weekend uh, with our new champions, first-time champions, uh, Portland Timbers FC, I guess is their official name. I'm glad they don't harp on the FC. If they did, it would be really annoying. We're going to talk about some DC United transactions, and we've got some breaking news at the top of the show. Before we get to anything, though, Ben, what are you drinking tonight? Well, it's December now, obviously, and uh, my wife and I uh, trimmed our Christmas tree uh, this evening before the podcast, and so... That's adorable. I know. Um, And so I'm drinking a proper holiday beverage. I'm drinking some uh, eggnog with Evan Williams whiskey. Very similar to my drink last week. I approve. Yep. Jason, what are you drinking tonight? Uh... I'm going to go with, I've got actually two drinks. Um, <laughs> you were double fisting tonight. Interesting one. Uh, well, no, one of them was just set uh, behind me a little bit. Um, 
But uh, I'm going to go with the more interesting of the two drinks. Uh, I've got Stone's uh, Cali Belgier IPA. Um, some of the bottles apparently are Cali Belgique. It's the same beer. Um, because of Belgium's two languages, some of the six-packs are in Flemish. Some of them are in French. Um, to go further, if, if you couldn't tell, it is a Belgian-style IPA um, inspired by Stone's uh, standard IPA, um, and it's it's really, really, really good. If you find it, uh, you should definitely buy it. It's it's. I mean, it's Stone Brewing, so I don't think they make anything bad or even average, um, but... Uh, They've definitely lived up to their reputation, that's for sure. Stone Brewing soon to be coming to Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, I was waiting for that plug. This this one is not a Virginia beer. Not Not yet. yet. Not yet. Their their East Coast brewery is opening in Virginia. I think it'll probably be... Beer will be available for sale in, I think, June is what I've last read. And if Stone wants to sponsor the podcast, they should email us at filibusterpodcast (laughs) at gmail.com. We will happily accept their sponsorship. You know. Yeah. Even if they just want to give us beer, we love. We don't we need love money. The we just need beer. Yes. We love the Ehrlich Office, our inaugural sponsor, and right now our only sponsor. We love them. Yes. Very, very much. We uh, want to add to our portfolio of sponsors. We do. <laughs> Even We're if all always, they do is send us always beer. Always looking forward. Or booze. Uh, tonight, I am drinking. I am drinking a Virginia beer, actually, Star Hill from Charlottesville. I'm drinking their Little Red Roostar. Uh, coffee cream stout, and it is delicious. It is a partnership with uh, Red Rooster Coffee Roasters in Floyd, Virginia. Um, and it is it is really tasty. I, I strongly approve. Floyd's a cool, funky little town. If you're ever in southwest Virginia and happen to be within a little bit of Floyd, it's, it's worth a little, it's worth a slight diversion to go to. It's a cool, like, hippie town up in the mountains. Good to know. That explains why they have a decent coffee roaster. Yeah. So I mentioned some breaking news, and we're not going to bury the lead. We're going to lead, jump right into it. Ben, you got the scoop tonight and found the, the new DC United badge. And I found is, nothing. You found <laughs> nothing. It was, it was provided to you, and you published it. Correct. Um, the official unveiling is Thursday night, which is probably either tomorrow or tonight to to those people listening to the show. Um, but yeah, DC United is going to have a new logo. We now know what it looks like. What do we think of it? Uh, overall, I like it. I, 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 as I said in the post, I especially like the version where it, where the, uh, the seal that it is busting out of is absent and it's just the eagle by itself. Uh, with the DC flag on it, I like that version. But I like the version with the with the with the seal on it as well. I think it's a nice update. They're not going to have to tinker with it for a number of years, I don't think. I think it's got some staying power, and yeah, it's not a radical departure from the current logo, which is good. And yeah, I like it. It's definitely of 2015. I will say say that. I, I know some people are saying that as, as a drawback. I think it's probably a good thing. Um, it's something that that obviously resizes well, and it looks like it can be a really flexible logo, and I'm excited to see what they do with it um, pattern and, and color-wise when it comes to the 4th of July or Pride Week. I think that there are some really cool things that they're going to be doing with it. Uh, I... 
I like it a lot, I think. Um, there are some things that, you know, some nits that I'd pick with it. I, I really don't like that the head is facing right. That is something that bothers me about any DC Eagle-based logo. The head should always be pointed left. Um, it's, wa- it's waist is a little strange looking. Yeah, the it, it's... Some people are saying it looks like a, a woman's bust. Some people are saying... I think it looks like a chalice. So if I if they make cups that are shaped like that, Ooh, I, I, like I would probably that. buy one. That would be kind of fun. Um, but overall, I I think I like it a lot. Like yeah. I, I'm still... You know, I haven't looked at it all that much tonight, but... I, I love I, that there's not a soccer ball on it. Yeah, that part's great. I love the DC flag being a part of it. That is really, really cool. Um, I even don't mind that it's the flag is red on black instead of red on white, which is what the actual DC flag is. I love that it's a reference to the flag without being super literal. So there's there's a lot to like for me in in this. Jason, what do you think? Uh, I, I like it more than I thought I was going to. Um, I was definitely... Go ahead. That seems to be the general consensus is right. it is way better than we thought it would be. And that's well, that's from people on Twitter, on Facebook. The response has been almost surprisingly really right, positive. Keeping I, in I mind expected it, it to be positive generally, but this has been overwhelmingly positive. So- soccer internet is generally negative towards everything. Um, it's a very hostile place as far as pretty much anything goes that isn't like uh, maybe like a puppy or a kitten playing with a soccer ball. Like beyond that, you're going to get a certain percentage of people are like, no, this sucks. Oh, even um, then, you'll have people who who like this. Like to, this dog sucks. Yeah. No first touch. I mean, um, in DC United fans in particular, we are a group that has bought into the idea of tradition. Right, and this and, is a change. And this is a change, and therefore to be skeptical, skeptical <laughs> about. Skeptical about. You should definitely be skeptical. Um, but no, it, it's it's a it's a better look than than I, the thing is there were rumors going around months ago that it wasn't great and that that it was not a big change but a negative change. Um, I don't know that this is. I, I, I guess at worst it's a sideways step. Um, if if even that, um, I don't have a problem. Uh, what I was worried about was having to wear all old Jersey stuff and saying, I'm never going to wear something with the new logo. Cause I don't like it. Um, for who knows how many years, you know, for another decade, I'd be in my forties still wearing stuff, uh, that I bought years ago. Um, and that, that was something that concerned me, but this is, I, I would be perfectly fine with this being on a Jersey or a hat or what have you. Um, it's, it's, I don't really see much to complain about. Um, I don't really like the font. Uh, I'll say that. I don't really like that font. Um, but, you know, a font complaint to me is very minor, um, unless it's like Wingdings. If this was, if DC and I was written out in Wingdings, I would be like, all right, that's no good. You can't it's have It's not that. Comic Sans. Uh, you know, Comic Sans doesn't bother me as much as everyone else. I think it's kind of just funny. Um, not that you should make your, you should not make your sports team, uh, your official logo should not involve Comic Sans. If we ever uh, have a black and red United, if we ever have a black and red United uh, team, the the font will be Comic Sans. Comic Sans was definitely my aim uh, uh, font from like what, uh, 1997 to <laughs> 2003. Dude, so not okay. 
It was, come Why on, did it you change 97 to 2000? It's really not okay. Why did you change okay. your font at all? I didn't. I stopped using AIM. I changed my font. I used Georgia. No, I used Comic Sans for most of What is wrong with you guys? In, with, pur- with purple, <laughs> with either purple or green text. Here. Oh God, Ben, you were annoying. I don't know if yeah, I would have liked you back then. I would have. I would have definitely unfollowed you on on AIM. Yeah, I used Georgia and had like uh, I think blue on white was my color. Come on, come on. Looking back, would any of us have liked our twelve to fifteen year old selves? Uh, probably not. Okay, that's that's a fair point. I was insufferable. <laughs> oh, I I look back on me. Then, I think we still now, are insufferable. I was like, oh god, I was so bad. So, Jason, you mentioned the font. Um, I I would have loved to see them find a way to keep a, a serif font like they had before, uh, just a more readable one. Um, they didn't go that way. They went with a sans serif that's got... It, it's almost got a nod to serifs if you're a font geek with some of the angles they have uh, at the edges of the letters. But it, it it is a custom font, and from what I've been told, it is a font by the same guy who designed Liverpool's. Liverpool FC's custom font. So they, they definitely went with a guy who's who's known in the industry on this. So again, it's it's somewhere that I'm excited to see where where things go. With where they take and, the design in when, how when I say when I say I don't like the font, it's not like I'm sitting here bitter about it. It just it's not ideal. Um but I mean it's I think part of the being of 2015, it's a very 2015 font. And and you know we've established that I tend to skew towards pretty odd places when it comes to choices of uh, any sort of artistic or uh, design choice. I tend to prefer something either odd or you know less than popular or sparse. Um, so any font really is going to probably bother me. Um, not every font, but pretty much every font. Wingdings and, and Comic Sans uh, certainly would have bothered me. Um, or what was the other one? Or what was the one that was like a wedge? The letters were wedges that came up. Um, it was sort of a diagonal. Um, it's I don't remember that one. I remember Curl's oh. MT. Okay. The, the only other font I really remember was Courier New because I wrote uh, many of my papers in high school in it because it was bigger than other fonts at the same, like, you know, size. every single teacher in America knows about Corey and New, right? Well, yeah. They <laughs> knew what you were doing. Like, I, still, I, still just... got, I still got good grades on my papers, so... <laughs> I actually had teachers that required us to write in Career New because they had yeah. used typewriters back in the day oh. and didn't want to change. Now we, had, we had, in high school, we had required fonts because the school realized people were liars. <laughs> oh, I had a college professor who forced the TA in the class to measure the margins to make sure nobody was was cheating on that and must, to make like to really check that the TA. Filibuster, the Times New Filibuster, the Times New Roman font podcast. We are not a Times New Roman podcast. But, Let me get that just very want... straight. If we are we, a font podcast, it is, it is not Times New Roman. It's Comic Sans. <laughs> okay, yeah, it's Comic Sans. We're not cool enough to be Helvetica. No, no. no. I, I, and we're not formal enough to be... We drink, for God's sake, on the show. We're not formal enough to be a serif font, so... We've gone badly off topic right now, so... Yeah. Maybe and we're wingdings instead of... <laughs> we we might be wingdings. Maybe we're wingdings. That's really... That's actually fair. 
Um, we are certainly the nerdiest podcast on the block. Let's turn our attention now to actual soccer. We're going to get back on on track in and how. MLS Cup number 20 is in the books. Columbus Crew 1, Portland Timbers 2, Wilding a wild wingding of an opening half. Saw the, fa- <laughs> saw the fastest goal in MLS Cup history, MLS Cup final history, 27 seconds. Uh, a hilariously bad missed call if you were neutral in the game, which if you're listening to this, you probably were. Uh, led to a second goal for the Timbers before the crew scored on their only shot on goal of the game, doing their best DC United in Montreal impression. Just short. Uh, my, my first point here, here, Ben, is hi, Steve Clark. How you doing? Oh, oh goodness, Steve Clark. I enjoyed that uh, Kevin Hartman liked your uh, <laughs> post about him being off the hook for the worst MLS Cup goal of all time. He not only liked it, he responded to it. I didn't even tag him. Kevin Hartman found this. I don't know if he was searching his name or what, which in that moment was a completely reasonable thing to do if you were Kevin Hartman, <laughs> who in 1999 essentially passed the ball to Ben Olsen to chip in over Kevin Hartman uh, for a goal. Um, Steve Clark took a back pass from Will Trapp, and instead of just booting it, which was obviously the right decision, he touches it across his body, across the goal, and then sees a fullback open out on the left side and tries to play it to him. Diego Valeri, of course, had been sprinting the whole time. And I don't think Steve Clark realized he was there, and Diego Valeri blocks the pass into the goal. One nothing keepers after half a minute. And the thing is, Clark had so many ways to get out of this. Um, Will Trapp played him the right ball uh, mm-hmm. to the correct foot. It wasn't on the frame of the goal. If you're playing out there and you don't know this, if you pass back to your goalkeeper, don't aim it on the frame of your goal. So it won't. If, if he misses it entirely, it will not go into the goal. You won't concede if you pass out of the frame of the goal. Trapp did all that. He did exactly what Clark needed. Uh, Clark had the opportunity to just um, bump it up the line. Uh, he opted not to do that, which is a co- very Columbus thing to do right now, uh, a Burhalter crew uh, thing to do. Um, but his next touch back across goal needed to be, and this goes back to the frame of the goal, he needed to touch the ball all the way across the frame of the goal so that if it gets blocked somehow, if Diego Valeri is chasing after you, for example, if you if you blindly clear it up the field and there happens to be a guy jumping, it won't hit him and go in the goal. Um you give up you give up a goal kick and you say wow that was close but you don't pay for it in the end um, and instead he just took a sort of a lazy lackadaisical touch into the worst possible place and then never really showed awareness that Valeri was coming um, and he he paid the price um, this was something that Portland knew um, to a certain extent um, I think there was a quote from I want to say it was in one of Matt Doyle's pieces that said that he had been told off the record by a player on another team that Columbus takes risks with the ball in the back that are insane. Uh, I believe were the exact quote mm-hmm. uh, was just the word insane, um, which is fairly accurate. Um, Burhalter wants his team to possess to a certain, to an extent that he's willing to trust Clark doing crazy stuff on the ball um, that other goalkeepers don't get that. You know, Nick Romano is from reputed for his ability with the ball at his feet and even he doesn't take the risks with the ball that Clark does. And and that's not a goalkeeper choice. That's, you know, goalkeepers are told what they should be doing with the ball. I, um, to go back a few years, John Bush was actually um, released 
if I'm not mistaken. I, I think one of the reasons he was released in Columbus by Sigmund Schmid was that Bush's decision-making on the ball was to kick it long too much, and Schmid didn't like it, and it never changed, so he said, we're going to move a, di- a different direction. So this isn't something that coaches ignore. It's a, you know, it's a subject that gets dealt with, and goalkeepers are told what they're to do and what not to do. And Columbus is very permissive with Clark. They're, they allow him to do a lot, but um, in the first 30 seconds of a final, you, know, you could say, hey, play your normal game after like the 10th minute. Um, let's get going before we then take ri- huge risks inside our own box with the ball. Um, but that wasn't the, either that wasn't the case, or he just ignored them um, and, and did what he was going to do anyway. I uh, some I somehow doubt that that was a. Um, I, I think that was just an oversight from the team. They just were willing to take that risk, and you have to credit Portland for seeing that these this was a thing that could happen, and that a really a sellout press. They weren't just high pressing. They were pressing like crazy. Um, yeah, even on that first goal, I, you mentioned Matt Doyle. He pointed out a video from behind Columbus's goal on that first score where Liam Ridgewell is in the background telling them all to push higher, even as Diego Valeri is in the box bearing down yeah. on the keeper. Like, this is our moment. In the, the Timbers came out ready to score in the first minute. And, and it's funny and that it's the crew who scored the fastest goal in MLS Cup playoffs history that this happened against. Yeah. And I think it, it, that video did really underline the sellout press that, you know, Portland doesn't have their center backs aren't that fast. So they can't necessarily press in a suicidal manner. They can't be that team that just tries to press you into this exact kind of goal, generally speaking. But I think they realized that in this particular game, in this matchup, it was worth the risk because of the risks Columbus takes with the ball, you can actually say, let's actually go for it. Even if, if after 10 minutes it hasn't panned out, it hasn't turned into a distinct advantage, then we, we dial it back. Or even five minutes, you, you dial it back. Um, but you, you roll the dice on the first five minutes, and you know look what happens. They're, they scored both of their goals inside the first seven minutes, and the first goal came from their willingness to say, let's just press all the way. Let's press all the way to their, their end line. Um, and if it works, it works. And it clearly it worked like a charm because uh, they got one of the most absurd and strange goals in MLS Cup history, but also one that it wasn't just a fluke. People are saying, I've seen Columbus fans saying it was a fluke goal and it was bad luck. It wasn't bad luck. Columbus, Columbus, they Portland found a weakness in Columbus's game and took advantage of it. And just because it's a goalkeeper clearing the ball into a guy, it doesn't mean it's 100% a fluke. If any team was going to allow this goal, it was Columbus. There are very few yeah. other teams who would even be in the situation where the keeper is taking an extra touch in the box like that. I mean, there, there are some keepers who would fake the clearance and then, you know, do a little Cruyff turn or something to, to get the ball to the other foot in space. Steve Clark didn't, and he never does, try that. He just tries to play it straight like he's a center back because right. he's, I mean, he's as close to a sweeper keeper as you're going to get in MLS since Luis Creighton left. See, I was see you kind of took it from me. I was going to just bring up, you know who wouldn't have given up this goal because he would have attempted some sort of uh, <laughs> exotic move that he has worked on a lot would have been Lewis Creighton. Lewis Creighton would have tried to dribble Diego Valeri. He would have welcomed the opportunity. He probably would have tried to nutmeg him. Um, and he, he actually might have pulled it off. But... He probably wouldn't have given up the goal. It would have been one of those moments where you would have had a heart attack. Um, but in the end, you probably get away with it. Whereas Clark, who is a better goalkeeper overall than Lewis Creighton, 
uh, just just didn't have the awareness uh, of the situation, didn't seem to grasp the seriousness of what was going on, and was just he was he was I guess casual in a different way. Creighton was trying to entertain in a casual way. Uh, Clark was just casual, period, um, and it. It really set the stage for the rest of that first half, and and really after that the game because it's not. I mean, like you said, Adam, Columbus had one shot on goal. Um, I know we'll get into that, but one of the things that struck me was there were a lot of people saying that there was this furious push for a second goal from Columbus, and that didn't happen. Uh, I think Caleb Porter summed it up. He said like we never felt in any real danger, uh, even at two one. It was never really very stressful, and he was right. Yeah, I mean, Columbus came closer to scoring on their own goal than they did scoring again in Columbus or on on Portland's goal. Um, there, you know, there there were shouts for penalties either way, and J.R. Marufo, who 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 was in the center for this one, is never going to give those calls, especially not in a final, unless it's a stone cold penalty, in which case he might give it. Um, but he might hand you a penalty out of nothing. Yeah, that's the problem with J.R. Marufo. Yeah, but but these calls were were some people were calling them stone cold. I I don't know if I agree with with that. Um, the, the only stone cold thing in the box he really missed was um, Justin Merrim taking a dive and not getting a card. Yeah, um, because that was Darlington Nagby gained position and Merrim as soon as he realized that he no longer had position just threw his feet up and landed on the ground. And this was what that was very early in the game, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, that was maybe even before the second goal. Yeah, Columbus, maybe right after somewhere, somewhere in the first ten minutes, Yarum yeah, should have been booked for a dive. It felt like the game was over after that first goal, and and it was in part because Columbus just didn't have a response. They immediately went to Justin Miram diving. They went to the the stuff they did in Burhalter's first year that right. that kind of got them in some hot water around the league. I know, especially with DC United fans, where there were the close to fisticuffs in a couple of games between DC United and the Crew because the Crew dove a lot that year and and they they got away from that this year because they were a better team and didn't have to right. do it they didn't have they didn't feel desperate enough to do it but as soon as they went down in the first 30 seconds against portland they went right back to it and and their fans after the second goal obviously didn't exactly acquit themselves well uh throwing beer cans and and whatnot at rodney wallace and the rest of the timbers I just showed everyone my beer. There's a pause there while they registered that I was pouring a beer. We That's, both nodded appreciatively. For, for, for listeners at home who are listening to this tomorrow... <laughs> Salute. <laughs> ben, these two teams got a lot of love in the run-up to the final. They were probably the two most attractive attacking teams in MLS. They weren't sporting Kansas City-style run the other team into the ground and play really direct. Um, they they weren't the Red Bulls who could also be called an attractive attacking team, but uh, these two, as far as an offensive matchup, should have paired really, really well and were really smiled upon by lots of people, despite the fact that neither of them won their conference and the Timbers uh, were were the lower seed through throughout the, the semifinals and the the conference finals. Do you think that these two teams will be anointed as the early favorites in the the East and West next year? I think the, uh, well, 
No, I don't think they will. I think they'll get overlooked uh, over some of the more traditional, not well, not traditional powers in case of uh, New York Red Bulls, who will be anointed but are not a traditional power. Um, but no, I think they'll be overlooked. I think uh, everyone in, out in the West is still going to go after the LA Galaxy and the uh, Seattle Sounders, uh, especially baffling because the Sounders have only ever won Open Cups and not anything else. So I don't know why they would, should be considered better than this, uh, the Timbers, but they will be. They won a Supporters' Shield. Okay, sure, yeah, they won a Supporters' Shield, but... Yeah, they're they're going to be immediately anointed as better than Portland next year, and it won't matter what either team does. They just will. And yeah, in the East... Uh, New York will definitely be anointed as better than Columbus. I think that's fairly easy to see coming. Uh, yeah, so they sh- they sh- probably should be the early favorites uh, to come back out of their conferences, but they won't be. I think the the Timbers could end up being a, a real darling next year just because they came on so strong at the end when they changed when they change systems and they're going to have to have some personnel changes. I know um, they're, I, I, I think Arudi was their first forward off the bench for most of the, the run in he's going to be gone. It sounds like they, the rumor is they're selling um, Jorge Viafana, Fania, their, their left back. Um, so that's another change, especially if you're running a press, which they did in this last, in, in the final, obviously. And, you're, and you're they also don't have a second left back. Um, their backup plan on the left is either play Liam Ridgewell there, which means bring in Norberto Paparato, which isn't good, um, or bring in Taylor Pay, who has barely played MLS soccer, and switching Alvis Powell to the left. So they definitely have to go find a left back, which automatically means they're in a question mark situation rather than something as assured as having a proven player like Fiafania. I don't know why they're selling him for the amount. The amount that's being reported is less than he's worth. I think it's substantially less than he's worth. Um, but that's their business, I guess. Um, I mean, yeah, they should congrats, be. Congratulations yeah. to the rest of the West. I think they should be able to get any our money for him. No, they're, they're talking about less than a million dollars. No, no, I, um, I, I know what they're actually saying. I'm saying what yeah. they should be able to get for him is probably any our money. Well, it, it, in any case, I think they're going 30 to 40% below what he's worth. Yeah. And it's bad for... MLS. It's bad for MLS to a certain extent that... Um, well, and they're selling him to a team in Mexico. He's not. He's not moving. You know, is, up on the aspirational chain to Europe. Well, I mean, let's be fair. I mean, the, uh, is is slightly higher up than the that ladder. Well, um, for sure, but it's not the jump that even the Belgian league is. No, but but on the other hand, um, Viafania is of Mexican descent, so you can see why yeah. he would be interested in going there. Um, you can see, you can be, you can see why he's drawing that interest because they also have um, foreign player requirements, and since he is of Mexican descent, they they count that sort of like a green card would count in MLS um, for roster requirements. So um, he's going to get interest from there that he wouldn't get normally, that wouldn't have been there otherwise if he was, you know, for, of Polish descent or what have you. Um, that Santos would not be in for Jorge Villafania at that point. Um, and Mexican clubs have a lot of money. My whole thing isn't necessarily don't sell him. It's, you know, hold out for closer to what he's worth. Um, and it seems more like Portland's just trying to 
get a deal done because the player might want it and because they're they're going to have to hand out some raises obviously any MLS cup winning team has to hand out raises and make you know players have to leave because you have to make financial adjustments somewhere um i just feel like they might have rushed into this one a little bit that's all the notes i have on on the final anything else you guys want to touch on before we take a quick break I- uh, the goalkeeping really just drove me up a wall. Yeah, they were um, both bad, weren't they? They both had bad games. I mean, oh, yeah, Corsay didn't make a save. He he had a no, missed punch no. and, and did not make a miss. Yeah, did not make a save. He, he had no saves and he was directly culpable for the goal. Um, I know there was some talk about whether Kamara committed a foul or not. I don't think I. I no. It didn't occur to me at all that there was a foul. Kamara boxed out trying to get the ball. Um, he was focused entirely on the ball. He wasn't taking a run at the goalkeeper trying to make make the ball come loose. It, he was, was no in position to... first. He was right. there first. And and Forrest came out weak and made a weak punch on the ball. I don't, I don't even know if I want to say he made a punch on the ball. It just some portion of his upper arm, wrist, or lower hand struck the ball stupidly. And the ball, was, you know, he handed Kai Kamara a chance. Kamara still did a lot of work on that goal because the ball was on the ground and Kamara had to box out. He had to choose not to lay off to a teammate, and then he had to line up a shot through a crowd to get that ball in. Um, but, you know, Quarase really made a mess of that. It really should have just been a ball that was punched out, and that was the end of it. Um, and, he, I mean, obviously Portland didn't really suffer for it because it's not like he had anything else to do. But at the same time, that game really should have been done and dusted at 2 nothing. Um, and Quarase almost single-handedly let Columbus back into the game. Um, Clark uh, did make some good saves late. Yeah, late, late on, he definitely did. Um, but he also he also had some moments on crosses where it was uh, a real mess. And, I, and I've never thought he's that good in the air um, by any stretch. I thought he, he played above himself in 2014, and this year we saw more of what he's actually capable of, uh, an average Steve Clark season in 2015. Um, and in the final, I thought he was worse than normal, not just because of the first goal, but in general – some of the decisions just weren't right. Um, he seemed shaken up, maybe, and probably because of the first goal weighing in his mind. Um, you start to get the idea as a goalkeeper that you need to make up for it, and you start forcing things. Um, we hear about goalkeepers needing to stay patient. Um, it's something Bill Hamid had to work on for a while because as, he, as a young player, young players are never patient. Um, and so for him to learn that has made him a better goalkeeper. And I think Clark there was a little bit of a sign to me that Clark was trying to make up for what he did. And, you know, goalkeepers other in a game like that, where they don't have, he didn't have that many saves either. Um, he had a few, but not like a, uh, it wasn't like a 15 save performance or anything. Um, there's only so much you can do to make up for it. At, at that point, you just need to make no more mistakes um, and make one or two big saves. You don't need to make every single save a dramatic moment. And I think there was a little bit of, a lack of composure on Clark's part. Um, the other, the other thing I would, I'm looking at the game notes now just to make sure I'm not forgetting anything. I think Columbus waited too long to make their tactical gamble um, when they pulled um, Tony Chani for Jack McInerney. That that came in the 72nd minute of a game in which they had, at that point, had gone what? Uh, they scored in the 18th minute, which was their only shot on goal, and this was a 72nd minute sub. One also they. Ethan Finley had been bad the whole time. They could have pulled him. Yeah. The whole playoffs, they could have pulled him earlier too. Cedric Cedric well, had been much better. Yeah, but you know, Finley because of his play this season had earned the extra minutes because he was producing goals and assists. So I kind of get that. 
But um, the, to wait that long to make that that the gamble sub when you're not getting it, when nothing's happening. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It wasn't even like they weren't that they weren't taking shots. Period. It wasn't just shots on goal. Um, and they waited. You know, that's over 50 minutes of just waiting in a final where Portland is defending comfortably and Portland uh, during this portion of the season where they were a defense, uh, defense first team really showed that they are capable of doing that. They had, what were they the first or second best uh, goals conceded on the year? Um, they're one of the best in the league uh, in terms of team defending. And they, they know that trick. And this is something they didn't used to have. They used to be a little naive going forward. Um, no matter what, Porter's tactics were they couldn't set up a defense that could actually protect their goal long enough to win championships or even contend. Kind um, of like the crew. Right. Um, that used to be the crew's way, you know, the crew gave up over 50 goals this season. That was kind of Portland's deal in the past. Um, this year, because they went negative for a while, even though it wasn't the right choice for that mix of players, it was a mistake. They did learn quite a bit about how to win games and how to get results when you have to be defensive. And they were so comfortable with it that I can't believe that Columbus didn't. And Columbus has made early changes, too. Um, they've been willing to roll the dice. They're already an attack-minded team. Uh, they take risks with their play, and they've been willing to take risks with their subs. And it just seemed like maybe they were frozen up a little bit because they, they, there wasn't a justification for waiting 15 more minutes for that sub. It wasn't like, well, the game's going well. Let's see if in the next few minutes they make it count. There was nothing happening. Like, this was a team that needed a jolt immediately, and they did bring in Cedric in the 63rd minute. Um, but I feel like maybe that should have been a double sub. Um, they really should have gone for it right then and there. And they, the right team won the game. Um, and Columbus fans are very upset about the ball out of bounds. Um I, I feel like we it, that ball out of bounds, as as you guys already know, I feel that ball out of bounds went from like about about two feet to a yard at the very most, turned into within like five or ten minutes in real time, turned into that ball was in in uh, one of the Great Lakes, uh, and then was brought back in bounds and and scored. Um, For those of you, Taylor Twelman was probably on the moon. He said For it was too. You're wondering about geography right now. Columbus is in the center of Ohio. Yes, I, <laughs> over a hundred miles from the Great Lakes. Yes, it's a long way. Uh, I almost was tempted to say Canada, um, but no, which would have been know. the same thing. It would have been really close it's to exactly, the same. Well, thing. I mean, Lake Erie is not wide. The shore of the Great Lakes is technically closer than the the the, the border goes through the middle of the. Great Don't Lake. get pedantic. Yeah, no, that's what I wanted to know. What is the point of this podcast if we're not pedantic? Yeah, we don't really have much else to offer. I, oh. I can't argue with that. But, you know, the ball the ball was slightly out of bounds, and Columbus, Portland still had a lot to do. Darlington Nagby got the ball, surged through. Columbus didn't do anything. It took multiple multiple things happened after the ball went out of bounds, and Columbus never responded. They just continued being frozen. And I can understand being frozen for a second. You think a call's coming for a second, and you freeze up. But don't continue to be frozen up, and, and don't be eight or nine players freezing up for that long until you've conceded a goal. I and mean, the goal is still a real mess in terms of center back play, in terms of Tony Chani. Not, at least shield the ball while you think you think it's out of bounds, you think it's your throw, and shield the ball. Um, you see Darlington Abbey coming over to kick the ball, you think, oh, he's just trying to take the ball and delay our throw, and I'm not going to have that. Stand in front of him. Um, Harrison Offal, track Rodney Wallace. You know, There's plenty of things that happen on that goal 
that were bad soccer that had nothing to do with bad refereeing. And yeah, so you, I don't you play to the I whistle. Really, it's easy. Yeah, it's easy. You play to really the whistle. I don't really feel that bad for Columbus because there are so many other things they could have done in the process of that to stop that from happening. And then we wouldn't even be talking about this dodgy call because Columbus would have just dealt with it and gotten over it. And championship teams do get a slice of luck here and there, but they all, I mean, DC United's last MLS cup came involving a handball from Aleko Eskandarian, which was somehow not brought up on the broadcast. People were talking about how, Oh, this is definitely the worst call in MLS history. It's like, are you kidding me? Eskandarian committed handball and then two touches later scored a goal. That's a bigger missed call. Yeah, this was a hilariously bad call, but it took a lot, a lot of doing yeah, for, from Columbus, Columbus to make this goal happen. Yeah. Um, but I guess, you know, that was 11 years ago, so I guess it's, it's old history. I don't know. Um, but uh, overall, Portland in the playoffs, down the stretch, and this is MLS, you know, you don't have to be the best team from March until, or even in some cases, February, uh, to, to December. You don't have to be the best team for all of it. You just have to be good enough to stay in the mix. Um, and then come September and October, if you start putting it together, you can, you can have a shot at the championship. And both of these teams did that to a certain extent. And Portland, to their credit, I mean, Portland, once they made the, the formation switch and brought Nagby into the middle, were virtually unbeatable. Um, and in the end, in you know, if you cut off the first part of the season, which isn't really how this is supposed to work, but it's what happens. If you go from September to now, Portland was the best team in the league. Um, and they they won. And, and, you know, Caleb Porter may seem arrogant to a lot of people, me included, but he's earned it. I, you know, I said after the game that his smirk is going to become permanent, but you can't really say like, well, he's got nothing to smirk about. He, he really does at this point have plenty to smirk about. So, um, he can pat himself on the back and everyone else just has to deal with it because the Timbers aren't just good today. They're going to be good next season, assuming they sign a left back who's competent, which they probably will. They don't make too many terrible signings. So, um, it's going to take a lot to, to, for somebody else to push them aside on the other hand, this is MLS and weird stuff happens and they might just, you know, slip up in the first round for no apparent reason. They might be like the Portland Timbers of 2014. Yeah. And, and who were inexplicably bad after being really good the year before. Maybe they're just yeah. uh, what did they, was it one point, one point from the supporters shield that year. And uh, then the next year they just fell off. Yeah, that's right. And missed the playoffs entirely. Yep. Yeah. It was, it was a wacky turnaround. Um, I would say something about Wacky Turnaround, but that would be a really silly segue uh, because we're taking a break right now. So stick around. This is Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Hey, Ben, you know how you're always going on and on about legal advice on this show? Well, and yeah. Not, and you never, ever use the term correctly? Well, of course not. I try not to use the term correctly. Right. Our new sponsors, the Ehrlich Law Office, they do use the term correctly all the time. In fact, that is what they do. Oh, so if I actually wanted legal advice, I should probably go to them? Yeah, exactly. If you're in Northern Virginia or the District of Columbia, they handle employment issues, general civil litigation, defamation, lots of stuff. Uh, They have you covered. Jason, I'm sorry, they do not have you covered because you are in Maryland where they are not operating just yet. Uh, Fine. So... Ehrlich Law Office, it's, a, it's really good people. Uh, Josh is their, their main proprietor, Josh Ehrlich. Uh, he's a law school friend of mine. His, one of their, their attorneys, Ben, uh, a lot of our listeners know him from games and, and other places. So, guys, for a free consultation, go to Ehrlich Law Office 
facebook.com slash filibuster. Welcome back to Filibuster, the Black and Red United podcast. Let's turn our attention to DC United now. We are going to talk about some off-season moves since it's now the off-season. Uh, the first one, I guess the first two, we've known about for about a week now, but they are now official. Chris Pontius is on his way to the Philadelphia Union, which is a sentence that makes me incredibly sad. Um and in his place, Lamar Nagel is on his way to D.C. from Seattle, which I know some Seattle people who who that sentence makes incredibly sad. There is allocation money going in various directions and, and targeted allocation money, that special TAM fund that does special things in MLS that we won't get into because about as esoteric as you can get. Uh, but basically... You can frame it as a three-team deal where Philly gets Pontius, DC gets Nagel, and Seattle gets Monopoly money. Jason, what do you make of of this development now that it's official? Uh, I think DC United has, you've got to say, they've come out on top in the end. Um, as much as it's sad to see Pontius go, um, he's done so much for the club on and off the field, but the injuries that he's had have just made it so that his, his salary was too difficult to shoulder. And the fact that there were other MLS teams willing to take the risk on paying him that salary based on the hope that they could get him back to where he was in 2012, which if, if he played at 2012 levels, he's worth that salary. Um, the fact that there were teams willing to take that risk meant that there was no good reason for him not to accept or for him to accept a pay cut when he's got teams in the same league willing to pay more. And for DC United, you know, there's no good reason to roll the dice on this year for some reason being the year that he doesn't have injuries. Um, so both both sides had a reasonable reason to go the way they did. Um, it's it's like I said, it's not good that he's gone, um, and it's sad that it's injuries that are the reason he's got to go. It's not because of a, you know, he stopped being intensely into soccer. It's not that he's not trying. It's that something else that's that seems to be beyond his control because I'm sure if he could control it he would stop being injured because he wants to the guy wants to be on the field um, but all, all in all United got an extremely similar player um, for about half the price and in MLS in a salary cap league <coughs> the half the price we're talking about is another Lamar Nagel basically um, that's how much the, you know, the savings are is you get, you get two, uh, starting quality players at that price instead of one. Um, Nagel doesn't quite, they're not exactly the same. I've seen it said that they were exactly the same. Um, Nagel does stay wide a little more. Pontius likes to cut in, uh, you know, about 90% of the time. Nagel cuts in less. Um, I think at this point in their careers, Nagel is, is the faster player. Um, I think he's got a quicker first step, which is very important for someone on the wing. Um, I think Nagel might be a little, ever so slightly more suited to a 4-4-2. I think Pines is better in a 4-2-3-1 or, or even um, Philadelphia looks like they're headed towards a 4-3-3, mm-hmm. um, which makes sense for Pontius. Um, that's a better formation for him. Um, both players have had their moments decision-making off the ball and on the ball. Um, especially in transition when the team is trying to attack quickly. Um, 
that's not to say that they always make bad decisions or anything like that, but there are moments where things things don't happen as quickly as they should. Um, all in all, I, I think it's it's a deal that you really can't complain about other than the loss of the longest tenured player on the team. Um, but you know, financially, you ha- it's a deal you have to make. Um, and health-wise, it's a deal you have to make. Nagel's going to play 30 games, um, barring some sort of disaster, some sort of, you know, something you can't legislate for. Like, for example, Pontius broke his leg that one time. That was something that was just an impact injury from a tackle. Um, that wasn't – that was bad luck rather than his injury history that has whatever to do with um, his hamstrings. Nerves and hamstrings, yeah. Right. Um Barring something like that, Nagel is going to be on the field. He is going to be. He's good enough to be a starter for this team. Um, he adds some speed to the lineup, which we're going to continue hammering away at because the team was very slow in 2015. Um, he can play up front. You can switch him with Rolf um, if you, well, you want to start playing in behind. Go ahead, Ben. One, what I was just going to say is that his durability allows Rolf to just stay up top for a lot more of the season and not have to drop right. back into left midfield, which at this point is probably better for him too. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's the kind of thing you can do in game. You know, Rolf will start at forward, you know, the lineup will come out and Rolf will clearly be a striker uh, in that lineup. But then you can say, Hey, you know, we're not getting anything going. Let's see if we can switch them just for a few minutes, see if we can shake something loose. Yeah. Um, or you can say, you know, hey, this team is really slow, so for this game, let's play Nagel up front and just try and play him in behind. Um, you, you, it gives you some flexibility there, and we've we've seen Pony has played a bunch of games at forward this season as well as in, in the past. Um, so it's a move that we should probably look for. But from a starting perspective, it's going to be Nagel on the left, Rolf as the second forward underneath, quote-unquote, underneath as Spindola. Not like when those two play as forward, a forward pairing, they sort of Go where they both go wherever they please, and sort of look for each other rather than there being one guy who stays high and one guy who always drops off. Um, but overall, I, I don't think there's a really, from a soccer perspective, if you just divorce the emotion side of it from the soccer side of it, there's not really much of a complaint you can give because Nagel's still a really good player. He's still um, scored in the Champions League against, and not just against. It's not like they their group had Vancouver and Olympia from Honduras. They weren't playing. Uh, Montego Bay, and they it was were a paying. tough group. Right, they were in a very difficult group, and he scored three goals. Um, so he's still got a lot to give. Um, we're talking about a guy in 2014 who scored nine goals and had nine assists. Which, um, other than Fabian Spindle, who on this team is going to approach a double-digit, uh, two double-digit season? Um, it just hasn't happened for United in a while. So. I wouldn't. I'm not. I don't want to say that people should expect Nagel to be scoring nine goals and getting nine assists for DC United, but um, he is a good player. He's a very hard worker. He's um, well known in Seattle. I think he won their Humanitarian of the Year more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, he has um, a foundation. His his goodbye to Seattle talked a lot about people that helped his his foundation. So um, off the field, there's not going to be any issues. I don't. I don't think. Um, and I just I can't see any way that you can look at this as anything other than a, a positive in the end for United. Whether you know it will take some time to get over Pontius. Seeing Pontius wearing the ugly Philadelphia Union jersey was unpleasant to say the least. It really um, was. It was really I unpleasant. Hope, I do hope for him that outside of games against DC United, I hope he does very well. I hope he finds his fitness because you know MLS is brighter for players that can, the, the 2012 Pontius that was healthy and at his best. 
the league was better off for that. It wasn't just us. You know, neutrals get to watch, tune in for a game and see a player capable of what he was capable of. It's better for the league to have that going on. And it would be awesome for, and, and you know, for, for Union fans, they've been through quite a bit, um, as, as we have often joked about. Um, they could use something going positive. But right now it looks like United has lowered their risk significantly, gotten a similar equivalent, roughly equivalent player for a lot less. Um, so going forward, I think it's the first step. I, I, I will say it is an indication that there's not a formation change coming. Um, acquiring Nagel to replace Pontius really does point towards the continuation of a 4-4-2. You just have to get better at playing that formation um, rather than, if fans are sitting around wanting a number 10 to come in, um, I would encourage DC United to go find a number 10, but you know, I wouldn't necessarily sit around holding my breath that it's about to happen. The other big change that they've announced so far are the, the players who, whose contracts have not been renewed and are, or, or their options have been declined and they are not in negotiations with the club. Uh, or, or waived in one case. Yeah, in one in one case, he may have still been under contract and was waived, and that's Facundo Coria, who joined the team in the middle of the year, looked, you know, vaguely promising as as a potential creative force on the field, and promptly dribbled his way out of that uh, by through through some really bad decision making that if you were paying attention this year, you know all about. Uh, the other two names whose uh, contracts were not renewed are Jairo Arrieta and Michael Farfan, both of whom had a lot of fans in in the fan base. Michael Farfan in particular, we've talked on this show and on Black and Red United about what could have been had he been able to, to remain healthy and break into Ben Olsen's lineup. We've all talked about that game in Vancouver where he was a central feature Arietta, of course, had a, a blistering start to the year, surprisingly fast start to the year, and then fizzled off and scored two goals over the final 30 weeks or so of the season. So shouldn't really be a surprise that, that he's gone. Ben, are you surprised at any of these names? And are you surprised at any names that are not joining them? Uh, to take the second part first, I'm not really surprised at any of the names that got their uh, contracts renewed, their options uh, taken most of them are fairly cheap and or young, so there, there's not much to be said about that. Um, yes, my, my cat is trying to beat down yes. the door as we speak. It, we've heard so much about your cat trying to get on the podcast, and, and damn it, he finally did. Yeah. Yeah, he, he beat at the door and then... Got some strong went, takes on Hyrule Arietta. Yes, and then decided to just put at the very end was like, no. <laughs> yeah, that your cat is a big Arietta fan, clearly. <laughs> yes, yes, he is. Um, I mean, their names both start with the letter J, so uh, that could be part of it. But yeah, go, little uh, Hiro is mad that Big Hiro is gone. Exactly, but um, I mean, it, 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 yeah, Hiro is in a difficult place because with Saborio coming back already, there's not seemingly a spot for Arietta. I saw reports that maybe they're going to try and re-sign Arietta, but they probably need to bring in a new striker to compete with Sabarillo and be like the next generation after Rolf and Espindola and be able to take some of that pressure. Uh, and with Farfan, who knows what's going on behind the scenes? Obviously we don't, but 
he just could never stay healthy, and that's a big part of playing soccer games. And I think DC United has been trying to lower their risks by getting rid of injury-prone players like Chris Pontius. And so if they can have somebody on the field for 25 or 30 games rather than somebody who may, might be a little better but only plays 10, I, that's that's definitely one strategy to take. And I mean, obviously, having somebody on the field is better than having a better player injured. Talk about a hot take, Ben. <laughs> I'm full of them tonight. That That's all the news we have so far. There's obviously going to be a lot more coming this offseason. Uh, starting this week, in fact, with the, the first stage of the reentry draft, we'll find out if DC United takes any out-of-contract players well, from around the league at the salaries they were making. Track. Oh There's yeah, the also waiver, a waiver draft. draft before that. Yeah, but the um, waiver draft nobody ever goes in the waiver draft. There might be one player selected in the entire league in the waiver draft. It it is a non-entity. Pretty much, pretty much no one ever goes in the waiver draft. But you know, it does exist, and teams do have to say pass. Um, Jason, all right. Since you brought it up, would you say pass in the waiver draft on the conference call? Uh, it will happen on I, Wednesday. I am bringing up the list on my phone. Um, uh, let's see. I'm, I'm going in alphabetical order, so there's a lot of bad players because Chicago and Columbus are up there first. Um, alphabetical uh, team. Yeah, you know, so you don't want anyone from Chicago and Colorado. That's obvious. Uh, I would say maybe someone like Gonzalo Pineda is interesting, but not to DC United because they have to find out whether Davy Arnaud's coming back or not. Um, if he were to call up you know, tomorrow morning and say, listen, it's not happening, I'm going to retire, then they should probably jump because Pineda is a, a, a year and a half younger um, than Arnaud. But otherwise, no, probably not. But, you know, we're not in the position of the Chicago Fire, for example, for whom virtually any new players are going to be an improvement. Um, there, are, there are a lot of bad teams, we have to remember it, and a lot of teams that do dumb stuff, um, and they might get interested in somebody, but... Overall, uh, probably we're going to hear nothing happened. But that, what is the, the waiver draft tomorrow at 4.30, so a few hours after this goes up. So you're saying you would not take Leo Stoles? Uh, I wouldn't because I don't think he fits a 4-4-2. Um, I also think he's not going to play in MLS next year. I think he's probably going to use that German passport. It wouldn't be the worst idea because he definitely had teams interested as he was coming out in the draft. Um, the Red Bulls convinced him to stick around, and they did a very a great job of putting up a smokescreen so that everyone else was scared of picking him, and then they picked him. But then Sean Davis, the homegrown player, uh, really kind of ate Leo Stoltz's lunch, and Stoltz ended up playing in the uh, with the, the uh, NYRB2 team in the USL the entire season. Um, Sean Davis shuttled back and forth, but was getting into games. They were subbing him in when they could, because I think once they got the both of them in the hold, the fold, they realized that Davis might not be more technical than Stoltz, but he's more energetic, and that fits the Red Bulls' style of play. I don't think Stoltz really fits there, um, but he also doesn't fit for DC. I think you'd have to be, you know, if you played a diamond, if you were RSL circa 2014 or 2013. Um, you would be very interested in Leo Stoltz, but um, you have to be a super possession-oriented team that isn't necessarily concerned about the lack of ground he's going to cover. 
All right, like like I said, we'll have a lot more news over the next couple of weeks uh, on the player personnel movement front. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to keep saying our preferences. It's time for another round of Cake or Death to end this show. Uh, we have five names on the docket this week, starting with right fullback Sean Franklin. Ben, Cake or Death for for the the right back. Cake. Easy, easy decision for me. Cake. Jason? Uh, I would say, and Ben, I can't believe you did this, but I'm going to go with Goat. <laughs> uh, I'm, throwing, I'm throwing some misdirection, lulling into a false sense of security. <laughs> what's, this, what's the end game in this scenario? Just let, Let's let it play out, and we'll, we'll, we'll see. I may have those my words. Way, my ways are mysterious. Fair enough. I... Uh, Jason, I know you you've been on record as saying that that um, Betashore uh, up in Vancouver is available, and he's a right back who's a little bit younger. I think maybe a little bit cheaper than Sean Franklin. If we were to sign Betashore, would you change your answer? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the problem for United is that they're far enough down in the the re-entry draft list, and and I would take Betashore in the first round, pick up his option, um, and then look to move Sean Franklin. The issue is that all of these uh, all of these other teams they have defensive issues. You know, New England uh, essentially has one capable right back, and I, I just mean capable of playing the position at all. Um, London Woodbury played well for a while and then kind of faded out, um, and was ceding time to Jeremy Hall and Kevin Alston. Um, I think they're going to be very interested. They pick ahead of us. That's not even to get into the fact that the bad, the bad teams who need any capable MLS starter, those guys are also picking ahead of DC United. But if, if for some reason Betashore is on the table when United gets, you know, when the conference call comes to them, they should take him and move Sean Franklin, even though Sean Franklin, United doesn't need to improve on Sean Franklin. They've got other bigger concerns, but if you get the chance to improve anywhere like this, improve and get healthier and get cheaper, not by much cheaper, but cheaper, um, you do it. You know, MLS hands you these opportunities. You might as well take them. Um, I would be ecstatic if he fell to us because I think Betashore is a slightly better right back and a significantly more durable right back at this stage than Franklin, and you've got to make that move. But I don't think United's going to get the chance, so you keep Franklin and, you know, Hopefully, if he has to take a rest or if he has to miss a game here and there, because Chris Corb, we don't know exactly when he's going to be back on the field and, and back at his best. Hopefully, uh, Olsen shows some some faith in Jalen Robinson. I'd like to see him actually get a real game rather than the move for Burnbaum to play it right back. Burnbaum's been okay at right back, but I don't know that Robinson's ever going to make it as a right back unless you give him you know, the chance here and there. I'm not saying start him no matter what, or start him because you want to. I'm saying if, if the need comes up, give him a shot, rather than just discounting him automatically. And he hasn't right. even been getting right-back starts in Richmond. He's been getting center-back starts in Richmond. Right. I completely agree. If he, I thought he looked good in the preseason. He, he was active, he, and he improved over, his, over the course of a couple of games uh, just during preseason playing right-back. So I'd be interested to see him. Jalen Robinson gets some more time. We'll, we'll get to him in the Caker Death poll later. One thing I think would be interesting is seeing Sean Franklin traded before we pick up Betashore in order to pick up Betashore. 
because you can trade spots in the reentry draft. Uh, Seattle did it once to trade up to number one in the reentry draft to pick up Mark Birch of all people. So it it would be interesting to see DC United move up in the order to pick up Stephen Bateshaw. Got to get that left foot. The, the reentry draft is often a, a sloppy mess. Um, <laughs> you just have to hope that. And and to be fair, DC United has often not been a reason for that to be a sloppy mess. It's been like, oh, they did something that made sense. Um, the team yeah. is bad at signing players from abroad, so they might as well do what they're good at, which is the reentry draft. They they're pretty good at that, and they might as well leverage it if they can. Yeah, the reentry draft seems like the drunkest party of the year. Not the best party, just the drunkest party of the year, and DC United is the least drunk in the room, frequently. Uh, yeah. Uh, which means it's not super fun, but, but you know, we have by far not the worst time. Right. Um, next up on our list is Marcus Halstey, Finnish international defensive midfielder slash center back, Jason Kakerdeath. Well, I mean, I guess this one kind of sticks with the team's the indicated the position we've had indicated in the media with with Steve Goff saying that kind of kind of saying that if Kitchen stays, Halstey's going to leave, and if Kitchen goes, then Halstey will stay. Um, that makes perfect sense, but it does leave us kind of with a difficult answer to come up with because those two aren't a good pairing. They aren't a compatible pairing. I think they both want to do a lot of the same things. They don't do them the same way, but I think they want the same responsibilities of position. Um, and when you put them together, there's sort of a disconnect going on. Um, United clearly was worse off um, without Davy Arnold because both of those players would be better with someone like Davy Arnold. Um, I would say at this point, you know, if you said tomorrow that DC United has to make the decision, I would say go and then come up with a plan of what to do if Kitchen does decide to stay. Because as we said last week, we've all kind of made our made a you know made our peace with the fact that he probably isn't going to stay. Though the fact that it keeps dragging out uh, is starting to give me hope that he will stick around. The fact that it hasn't come to a, a head at this point. Um, but you know, if he leaves, I do still have concerns about whether Halsey can be the primary, the 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 more defensive central midfielder. Um, I think. If he leaves, you have to find someone that covers even more ground than Arnaud does, which is going to be difficult. Um, because Halstey just doesn't – he's not flying around the field. Um, it's just not his game. Um, he's not going to cover every blade of grass, which is fine if you partner him with the right person. But I would say that if you've got to make a decision now, you keep him, and then if Kitchen stays, you work out the consequences down the road. You know, you sell him, you know, you get a transfer fee out of it, something like that. Um but as of today, I would say go. Yeah, I I agree with the sentiment, if not the the language you chose. I say cake here uh, as well. Uh, I think you you keep Halsty whether you are whether Ben Olsen is planning to stick with the four four two or change it up slightly. I think that until you know you have Kitchen locked down, there's no reason to let Halsty go, especially since Halsty is under contract for next year, and you either have to give him permission to walk or sell him uh, or, or trade him or, or something for him to leave. So I think, I think he's an easy cake for me. Ben? Cake. All right, another guy who is in the defensive midfield, uh, younger and cheaper and more American than Halsty, is Jared Jeffrey. He's next up. Ben, what do you think? Cake or death for number 25? 
I gave I, I personally gave him goat. I was actually a little surprised that uh, United actually kept him. I thought they were going to let him fly and uh, let him move on if he wasn't in their plans, like at least in their in the eighteen plans. But again, with Halsty, maybe a question, probably not. But with Kitchen, very definitely a question. Uh, I guess, and he's cheap, and I and he's not. Uh, he hopefully at least isn't going to be angry about staying. So, if all of those things are true, and he's willing to stay, yeah, he's he's worth keeping. Yeah, I mean, they had him at a cheap price on an option. It 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 was a pretty easy decision, I think, probably, considering the the depth he provides, and he had you know he had some good numbers in Open Cup and uh, Champions League play this year. So he's he's an okay depth option on the bench for a position that we are much thinner at right now than we were coming into 2015. Jason, what do you say for, for Jared Jeffrey? Uh, I feel like as long as the team's going to play this 4-4-2 and not play a central anchor sort of player, I'm not sure what Jeffrey gains from being here. Um, I think he's a, a reasonable player for his spot on the roster, which, which, if we're being honest, is pretty far down the depth chart. Um, that's not a knock on him. He just there's no role that really suits his game with the current the current formation and the current system in in place. Um, he's just not a good fit for that way of playing and that the position in central midfield that he has to play. So, I, I kind of it's it's sort of a fox to set him free kind of deal. Um, I feel like he'd be better off playing somewhere else where they're playing either in a diamond or in some sort of three-man central midfield where he can be the deep guy and uh, distribute the ball. Um, I think Maybe we trade into- him to Portland for, for Will Johnson and he can back up Diego Chara. I'm not sure Portland's going to make that deal. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I think in the right formation, Jeffrey would be a more prominent player here and he would be, he would look better. We would get more out of him, but I don't expect that formation change is coming. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the team is going to get out of him other than, I I mean, they would have gotten rid of him by now if he was a um, bad influence in the locker room or any, there were any question marks over him away from what we see in games. So, you know, I feel like the team can probably find somebody else that can contribute a little more that fits the system a little more, um, whether it's a draft pick, um, whether it's somebody that they trade for. Um, I just think that both sides would probably be better off if Jeffrey moved on. I don't have anything against him, but I'm going to have to say Fox just because I, I just don't see the fit for either side in this situation. Two more game, two more names to go before we close out the show. Taylor Kemp is first left back, uh, improved through the course of this year, I think noticeably, especially on defense. Uh, as much as we would have liked to send in those crosses, but his left foot is every bit as dangerous as ever. Jason, kicker death for Taylor Kemp for shooter. Uh, I mean, it's clearly goat. Um, I think the the issue for Kemp needs to be being coached up, being uh, brought brought around as a defender more. Um, he's made he's made progress up to this point. Um, it might be hard to remember where he came from as a starting point as a left back, um, as a rookie. Um, where I was I was a skeptic of his ability to improve upon that as a defender. He has improved, 
and I think he's still young enough, and there's still a ceiling there that that there's more growing to be done for Kitch- or for Kemp uh, defensively. And I think United needs to harness that and, and really get more out of him because his crossing ability and his ability to get forward and actually make things happen when he does come forward is really important to this team. And you know, you see it when you look at the key pass numbers, when you look at the assist numbers. Um, this team really relies on Kemp as a as an attacking threat. Um, when he's on the field, and and as much as Chris Corb playing left back strengthens the, the defense, and um, we maybe notice more of the good defending that happens in those situations, something is lost in the translation because Corb just is not a gifted crosser of the ball, and United is is not in a position where they need to be saying, well, this player is um, a defensive liability, and we have to ignore what he does in the attack. This is a team that needs to get better at scoring goals, and I don't think you give up a player like Kemp in that scenario. You you keep him, and you try and make sure he keeps improving as a defender so that you don't have to worry about the defensive end as much, and you still get as much or more out of him going forward. Um, I think they need to do a better job of finding him in the run of play. Um, if anything, he needs to become more of a factor in the team's uh, attacking game. Um, I, wa- I want to see Kemp putting in more crosses a game is, is basically what I'm getting at. Um, so for me, this one's this one's pretty easy. I, I think it's got to be goat. And I think if you're not voting goat, I don't I don't know. You you you've got some weird priorities at this point. I completely agree. I'm I'm sold on Taylor Kemp. Ben, I know you want to see him relegated to the bench next year through an you know acquisition and improved players. But do you want to see Kemp on the roster at all? Oh Take yeah, definitely. oh definitely goat. Uh, I I want to see somebody brought in at least to challenge him. It's got to be, and like, Corb is a fine player as well, but I think he's going to be 28 next year, so he's a good defensive replacement. He's fast, but like Jason said, his crossing really isn't there, and... Well, that's not what I said. Okay, fine. That's what I said. Go ahead. What, Corbs? Corbs, he's talking about. Oh, did he switch to Corb? I just said Corb's crossing is not there, oh, so he's not going to be a replacement okay. for Kemp. All right. It's Kemp, been a long Kemp's day. Crossing is there. Yeah, yeah. Kemp's crossing is there. Regardless, it's 11.02. Yeah. Uh, regardless, I think somebody should be brought in to challenge Kemp. I don't think Corb is enough of a challenge uh, for Kemp is what I'm trying to say. Um, and just having Franklin, Kemp, Corb, and Jalen Robinson as your fullback options and Steve Birnbaum out of position is not – good enough. So somebody needs to be brought in to challenge them, but definitely Kemp needs to be on the roster. Aim should be an easy call, even if none of us is convinced that he will actually be back in the district next year. And that is the newest leaseholder of a Lamborghini in America. Perry Kitchen. Um, cake or death, Ben? I mean... Yeah, I mean, I definitely want him back, so go. It, That's it. That's easy. It's easy. The, you the can number, hem and haw about whether he'll be here, but... I we, mean, yeah, it, it all depends on, num- depend on the number, but I mean, as long as it's not, like, a stupidly ridiculous, I'd still want him back. Even if they're paying him 400000 that's fine. Jason, cake or death? Uh, it's It's got to be good. I mean, I looked at the numbers last night, and... Kitchen has played, I think it was 158 of 170 games since he was drafted. 
and DC United's entire point haul in the games he in the twelve he missed was four draws and zero wins. They lost the rest of them. Um, their goal difference in those games is even worse than that sounds. So um, clearly, this team is built in a lot of ways around what Perry Kitchen does, um, both defensively and in in taking the ball from the back and and bringing it into the midfield and and starting things there. Obviously, that latter part is something United needs to improve, but I don't think that's on Kitchen. It's not that Kitchen's not good enough at that, that the team can't succeed. It's that the players around him need to make that the step past transition from defense into midfield. The next step beyond that has to improve. Um, I think Kitchen's done an admirable job. He's one of the best passing, or one of the most relying, reliable passing midfielders in the league um, on a team that doesn't really prize possession very much. He's still... Um, doesn't turn the ball over and and the you know I know there are people that say oh there you know he made this turnover he made that turnover it's like well yes but if you look at every single pass he's above eighty six percent um maybe he can't play as many key passes as Dax McCarty or Will Trap but that's not necessarily the way this system works his role in the system isn't to make those key passes um I really I would really be apprehensive about United going forward without him, which appears to be what's going to happen. Um, I don't think Halsey can replace the defensive side of his game. Um, I, I would be pretty nervous if Kitchen does end up signing abroad, um, which last week we were maybe a little more sure about. But like I said earlier, the fact that this is dragging out means that maybe there's a chance that United has the money. Maybe this trade, this series of trades, um, added in enough allocation money that they can use that to help the, their cause. Um, but at this point right now, I would say you've got to keep him if you can. Um, are they willing to make a designated player out of him? Which might, it might require that um, whether or not they've got enough TAM to, to sort that out. I, I don't even know that they can use TAM. I, I don't think they can on a second designated player. It has to be for a third um, because of how complicated that whole thing is. Um, but they probably have some regular allocation money they can use to pay, you know, give him a designated player contract, but pay it down. Um, that would follow United's general plan over the past few years of guys that prove they're good enough in MLS, get, get the designated player deal. Uh, not a Robbie Keane or a Giovinco deal, but they get, you know, upwards of half a million dollars. Um, if that's the case, if that's what it's going to take, because it probably will take that because, Let's be honest, if a random German team or even a Scandinavian team that has a lot of money, you know, I think one of the rumors was that it was Champions League teams in Denmark and Belgium. Um, those teams can pay Perry Kitchen more than DC United is going to be able to. Um, and Kitchen's probably aware of that. He'll probably even take less money uh, to stick because he understands why he would have to. But it's going to have to be – it can't be a huge gulf. It has to be a small gulf. United, he has to know that United is extending as much as they can. Um, I think he's probably worth it because he's still only 23. Um, he's still going to keep getting better. And if you if you can sign him now, if he decides next year to go, you get a transfer fee, like Bill Hamid signing the, the contract. You, know, you, you protect your future interests by signing him. And I think it's worth the financial risk to a certain to a certain extent. I'm not sure exactly how much the dollar amount would be, but to a certain extent, it's worth taking the risk and worth maybe overpaying um, a little bit ba- based on a hope for the future. Um, but in any case, the question was Goat or Fox, and I'm going to say Goat. 
The question was actually cake or death, but that's neither here nor there. That is it for us tonight. Thank you all for, for listening. Find us at blackandredunited.com. Uh, find us on Twitter at filibusterdcu, at blackandredu for the site. Send your emails to filibusterpodcast at gmail.com. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We are on SoundCloud. Mostly, though, tell a friend about the show when you see them Thursday at the official reveal for the new badge, which... Again, you can find on blackandredunited.com right now if you haven't already uh, gone over there and found it. So we will talk to you real soon. Until then, for Ben and Jason, I'm Adam. Say goodbye, Jason. Goodbye, Jason.